Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show. The Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. And uh, every now and then I get to do a program with my co-host John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club. Our special guest today, well, he bedazzled the entire world at the uh, Winter Olympics a couple years ago. And not just the world, but he became the first out openly gay uh, uh, medalist at the Olympics and also dethroned Reese Witherspoon as America's sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> And that is the glamorous Glamazon Adam Rippon. So, Adam, thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited to meet you in person, and now I can verify it is true. There is not a poor in sight. Yeah, I actually <laughs> donated them all to science. <laughs> I didn't need them. Leave. <laughs> but, I mean, how could I turn down having a conversation with someone named Michelle Miao. So, <laughs> here I am. We'll tell that story a different day. If you y'all come back, you promise to come back to the program. So Adam, it's tradition here on the show. I mean, okay. everyone from elected leaders to uh, uh, activists and celebrities such as yourselves have been asked here on the program to share a coming out story. I know yours is very special. Not only did you uh, come out to, to yourself, to your family, but also to the world professionally. So share with us. Okay. Um, November 11th, 1989. Oh. Um, so I, I'm from like uh, a small town in Pennsylvania. I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania. And um, oh, Scranton. <laughs> You've been. Um, <laughs> you're here now, so you obviously like it as much as I do. Uh, uh, but... Uh, from Scranton, Pennsylvania, I um, always felt like a little different, but I didn't really understand why. Um, and then maybe when I was like in fifth grade, I remember having my first crush on a boy. Now looking back, when I like when I thought of it, then I was like, no, I just want to spend like all my time with him, and <laughs> you know, that's it. And um, I. Uh, remember just kind of thinking that like those feelings I would just keep to myself. And as I got a little bit older, um, I was like, you know what, this is just a secret that I'll have my entire life and I won't say anything to anybody. Um, meanwhile, I was like carrying a messenger bag everywhere. So it was like, maybe the secret was just, I thought I had it. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> it was like, no one will ever know. Let's go. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was like the Meryl Streep of being in the closet. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I remember being, I remember the the first Queer Eye for the Straight Guy ever coming out. And I remember um, being in school and one of the girls in my class, we were just all hanging out in like a group. And one of the girls in, the, in my class was like, we're going to take my brother and we're going to force him to watch Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And I was like, okay. And she's like, yeah, he hates gay people. And it's just going to be so funny for him to like have to sit through this show. And um, I remember not really knowing why, 
but having that like pit in my stomach sort of feeling and like you know when you're really young and and somebody says that and the first thing i say is yeah but you hold on to that for a really long time and i held on to that for a really long time and then when i was in my early 20s um i uh met a boy who also didn't come out until his early 20s. And then we started, he was kind of sharing his story a little bit, and then we started flirting, and then I was like, oh, whoa, this is gay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, um, I guess I'm doing this. And we started talking, and then before, like, um, things escalated with this boy I was like I need to say something to my friends and to my family because I don't want them to not know what's going on in my life but I kept holding on to this feeling that maybe my friends and family would think that I had been lying to them the whole time Um, and maybe I had been lying to myself the whole time Um, you know I had a few girlfriends like when I was in like a teenager um and I was like, just like all humans are pretty, like, um, and they are though. Um, you just don't want to like, you know, sleep with all humans. Um, um, I thought I did, but I don't. Um, and I, you know, that confused me a little bit because I was like, I don't think I was lying to them because I thought like, you know, I really did like them and I thought that I had feelings for them too. But like, this just felt so different that it was like, oh, this feels right. This feels like I'm not like hiding anything about myself. And so I told all my friends and my family and everybody's reaction was like, this doesn't change anything. I remember I told my mom and my mom was like, you were inside me for nine months, I know. And I'm like... You really could have, like, cut a lot of bullshit out if you just told me. <laughs> I, I actually really thought that you were going to share that you're, you told your mom, or your mom knew, and you came out at, like, 10 years old when she signed you up for figure skating. I know. It, 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 you would get that impression from me. <laughs> um, but if you've been to Scranton, you would know that that would postpone this. Mm. Yeah. So, um, uh, I think... For a while, I was lucky because my skating was just such a great distraction that I could just, you know, stay focused on that. Like, no time for meeting anybody, no time for a relationship. So it was just like, I'm focused on what I'm doing, which I was. And, um, but then, you know, life takes over and you just, you meet people and like, you can't, you can't stop life. You can't stop growing up. But when I came out, I had this, like, overwhelming sense of just feeling so much better about myself. I felt so comfortable in my own skin. And a lot of, the one thing that really helped me coming out was, like, um, you know, this is almost 10 years ago, is, like, on YouTube, people were putting their coming out stories. And I would read different articles on different... Um, you know, athletes or actors who were coming out and reading their stories and seeing them still be successful, that gave me so much power. And um, it made me feel so good. And I was like, I want to be able to do the same thing. And so that's why a few years later, I decided to come out publicly. Um, I also decided to come out publicly because in 2014, the Olympics were in Russia. And um, I was hoping to, like, make the team. And then there was this huge 
cloud of uncertainty of what would happen if you were an out athlete and you went to Russia. And you, the U.S. Olympic Committee couldn't tell us what would happen. They didn't know. Um, so we didn't know if, like, you'd be arrested upon arrival. You know, the the law was, like, an anti-gay propaganda law, which I... What is yeah. that? These pants are gay propaganda. Yeah. So, like... Yeah. <laughs> so, like, what does that mean? Um, and so... Uh, you know, you can't be strolling down Moscow in a, in a blue and black, you know? Um, you've tried it, I bet. Um, and so I, uh, never made the team, but I didn't really, I never really said anything. I said that I didn't agree with the law, but I never said, you know, I'm, I'm a gay athlete. Um, and I, I thought about that, and then I was, so, you know, I didn't make the team, and it was the second time I had not made the Olympic team. And so I was sort of in this, like, almost rock-bottom place of my career where I was like, I don't have anything to lose. So I started training, like, harder than I ever have because I was like, I'll just skate one more season. And then I started skating really well, and I just was like, you know what, while I'm here and doing well, I want to be, like, a success story and I want to be like hey you can be out and like be in the best shape and be your best self mm. um and I'm glad I did because you know when I didn't make the Olympic team I was like I don't want to be like not successful a little bit fat and gay <laughs> <laughs> you know that's not the representation I needed from Scranton <laughs> so was there any blowback professionally from coming out? No, and, and I think, um, uh, you know, so many things, like, in my career happened under the radar. Um, you know, a good friend of mine, Gus Kenworthy, he came out um, on ESPN magazine. And it was such a huge deal, especially, like, in the X Games world, for somebody like that to come out. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he was already an Olympic medalist. He was already such a successful athlete, and it was such a big deal for him to... To like uh, share that part of himself, and I think that's why he's like a hero to so so many people. Um, but you know, when I came out, I was like I'd never been to the Olympics. Um, I was um, a you know an older figure skater who's like on the tail end of of their career. Yeah. Um, you know, the chances of somebody going to the Olympics for the first time at twenty eight are really low. Um, and and so I, I really came out under the... It wasn't, like, not on the cover of a magazine. It was, like, the way I came out was I did an article with one of my um, training mates, um, Ashley Wagner. And we were both training at the same time, and it was just an uh, article in the... You know, U.S. Figure Skating has a magazine that comes out, like, bi-monthly or every month. Um, one or the other. So it's, like, 12 times zero or six. So it's, like, double what I said or, like, exactly what I said. Um... So, and um, we did this interview, and I said that I wanted to include, um, you know, my coming out in the interview, because they were asking, like, why are you, why are you doing well? Why do you think you're successful? And I was like, I feel like that has a lot to do with it, mm. and I want to share that. Um, but I don't want it to be, like, the focal point. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did the interview and it was with this lovely um, reporter named Amy Rosewater and um, she just lightly tucked it and folded it right into the article and it was something that you would read and you just kind of breeze through. So I came out and the magazine had been out for like a month before it was like in like the ESPN to Twitter. So yeah. I was like, 
like that nobody cared. It was it was not a, it was not a big deal. Nobody made a big deal of like me being an out athlete until I had made the Olympic team. Go Speaking ahead. of making the Olympic team, I mean the road to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it you was know, the beaten path. <laughs> Well, I wanted you to share, like, it just sounded like you worked so hard to get there and share with us, you know, the the challenges that you might have faced. I mean, I heard that you, you broke a foot and you still got up on that foot to, to make it to the Olympics. I yeah, how hard was it? Um, very. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I when I, but the first Olympic team I ever tried to qualify for um, and had a realistic shot was in 2010. And so, um, in 2010, I knew that I was like an up and coming skater and the only way that I was going to make the team was if somebody who, there were three favorites to make the team. If one of them had a mistake, my game plan had to be, I'm going to just be perfect and I'll sneak right into that spot. I didn't sneak into that spot, but it wasn't devastated because I was 20 um, but you know, in the skating world, 24 is usually like the peak for a, a male athlete in single skating that, um, you know, you're, you're at your best in your early twenties, 24 is like that golden age. And then it starts to get like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, 24, this is going to be right. This is going to be the time. The timing is going to be right. I, you know, I was an alternate 2010. It all seems, everything seems like I'm going in the direction of making the team in the next four years. Um, but then that's sort of like, you know, when life takes over again. Um, I think I felt that pressure. I put so much pressure on myself to, um, you know, those people who made the Olympic team, um, two of them had retired. And I was like, this is my time to kind of shine through. And um, in the very beginning, I did. And then I started to put all this pressure on myself of I need to do this. I need to make it happen. It was like, it's going to happen now or it's never going to happen. And um, it just all kind of came to like a culmination in like the last event to qualify for the Olympics. So to qualify for the Olympics, it's based on like your track record for the past two seasons. And I had been okay. And there was a bunch of us that had been okay. And this one last competition would really push it over the edge or it would not. And um, I went in and I just felt like the weight of like my entire life's work on my shoulders and I did not skate well at all. And it felt like, what was the point of all of this? Like, was the point really for me to skate for all of these years and then to like embarrass myself? I didn't even skate badly and be like, no, I gave it a good shot. I, I just was, it was like one of the worst performances I ever like competed and and performed. And, um, I just felt like I felt like in such a weird place for the next few months. And, um, what finally really turned it around for me was, um, you know, I skated the next season because I was like, maybe I'll quit. And, um, I skated the next season and I went to, um, a Thanksgiving dinner with one of my really good friends. Um, and um, I've known her for like 10 years and I've known her mom just as long and they invited me over for Thanksgiving. So my family still lives in Pennsylvania. I live in California. And um, so I go over for Thanksgiving and um, her mom is like, so, you know, what do you, 
are you like how's what what do you want to do with skating and i was like well you know i'm just gonna like you know do my best and like (laughs) enjoy it and she looked me like dead straight in the eyes and was like you need to pull it together or this is gonna be really sad (laughs) (laughs) and it was like exactly what i was thinking but never said out loud and i was like fuck yeah (laughs) i should really pull it together because this is getting sad and so we had our national championships and i had seven weeks before and i was like you know what it doesn't matter how i do in this event but i'm going to like julia like julian michael is that her name julia michaels julie Julian, don't tell her i like (laughs) messed up her name she's she's listening i'm sure she is she's back there (laughs) um so jillian so i was like i'm gonna jillian michaels myself for the next seven weeks and i'm just i I remember i never worked harder in in my life i would go there's like a track next to um my house where i live in la and um i would go to the track and i would be there like at least four or five times a week for maybe two to three hours and then i'd also be at the rink and be skating for like four hours and um i just killed myself for the next seven weeks and then um i went to nationals and um in the short program i skated one of the best programs i've like ever skated still and um i got fifth and i was like (laughs) (laughs) i did all of that to like get fifth and I remember in one moment I was upset, and the next moment I was like, who cares? I feel really good about what I did. And if I skate the free program tomorrow and I am still in fifth, I'm going to be the best fifth place skater that ever has existed on the planet. I love that. I'm going to use that now. I'm going to be the best fifth I'm place gonna be the best ever. Because I was like, at this point, there's nothing I can do. Like, it's in the judge's hands. It's not like I didn't, like, you know, we're not up against a stopwatch. We're not, you know, there's no score to keep. There is a score to keep track of. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, and I was like, there's nothing I can do. So, like, I'm just going to skate my best. And um, that's going to be that. So I go and I skate one of the another one of the best programs i've ever done and the score comes in and it's like a record and it's like the highest score that uh, at that time was ever at the u.s championships and i have this moment of like oh my god i'm i'm gonna win (laughs) and um it was like up to the last skater and um he had been ahead of me in the short program and he skates really well not not perfect but skates really well and um the scores come up and he he's under me in the free skate but he wins overall and i have this moment of like oh come on like i just like did the best i could do and it like it's still it's still second like and then i had this moment of like right after that this like flash between like before my eyes was like shut the fuck up. Like, you would have done anything to have been in this place last year. And it doesn't, winning doesn't even matter. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me to not win and to skate my best. Because also in that moment, I had seen um, the boy who won was, his name is Jason Brown. And in that moment, I was like, Jason's been skating so well, like all, he deserves this. And I, I, ha- I was happy for him. 
and I was so happy about, for myself, and I was just excited that like I had I had done it for myself, and I realized that that was really what it was all about. Um, and so I said, okay, you know what? I'll skate for one more year. And then right after I had um, gotten second at nationals, I came out publicly that um, that summer, and um, I just felt like in this place that I had all this momentum around me that I was like, I really can win nationals. And I went and I skated and I just skated. I was just confident in myself and I was really sure of like who I was as an athlete. And more than that, like in a sport when you only have a few minutes to show everything you've got, I felt like I was able to do that, but also show who I was. Um, and I, I think that I also was like 26 at the time. And, you know, a lot of my competitors are in their early 20s or in their late teens. And I started just to become really more sure of myself. Like, you know, it's very uncustomary. It's not customary, uncustomary. Um, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it's not customary to like ever communicate, like talk with the judges when you're at a competition. But when I was like 26, I'd like, you know, we'd be doing an official practice and we'd all get on the ice and you'd like focus and you're like doing all your stuff and you're like, watch me. And I'm like skating really slow around the rink and I'd like wave to them. I'm like, hey guys, good morning. <laughs> and I was like, I'm such a bitch. Because <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody would do that, but it made me feel so in control of the situation. And it was like, I know somebody who's 18 would never even dare do that. I'm not 18. <laughs> We're going to get back to that uncensored, uh, newfound attitude of yours, but John? So the Commonwealth Club, we've been around a long, long time. Some of you might remember Dan Quayle gave a speech once. Do you remember the Murphy Brown speech? That was at the Commonwealth Club. So we have history with vice presidents, so I wanted to ask you about a certain vice president. <laughs> that, was, that was an okay segue, right? Um, Mike Pence. What about her? <laughs> um, you, you told some of this on Friday for a radio interview, but if you could go into it again, how... Because I think there are a lot of folks who, who if they weren't skate, following you from you know, the skating history or from an LGBTQ point of view... They learned about you then, mm -hmm. and I think you became a whole hero to a whole other segment of the population. Um, was that also, I mean, your, your willingness to just be direct about it, was that also a, a, because you were more mature? Maybe you wouldn't have done that when you were 18 or 19. No way. There's no way I would have done that. Um, but it was also sort of like, you know, to like continue is that like I, so then I, um, I'm totally going to get to your question. It's okay. <laughs> We're all along for the ride. So, you know, I won, I won nationals. Then the next, the next year, I'm skating really well. It's like two more years to the Olympics. I'm like, I can feel it. Like, I can do it. <laughs> um, I break my foot. Mm -hmm. And um, I break my foot with, like, one year to go to the Olympics. And it's like, oh, my God, I have all of this momentum. And in the moment I broke my foot, I was like, I can do this. I can still do this. And I'm sitting there, my foot is like the size of my thigh, which like doesn't fit in my pants right now. But like, it's, it's enormous and I know it's broken. And, um, so I go and I moved out to Colorado Springs, the Olympic training center, and I rehab it for the next six months. And then I moved back to California to start training for the Olympics. And I was like, you know what? I have nothing to lose. 
if I don't make it, it's okay. But like, I know that this is like a challenge for me and I can take it and I'm going to go as far as I can with it. Um, and I think that was the attitude that helped me qualify for the team. But I feel like all of these like moments where I felt like I had nothing to lose was where I was my most powerful. And so going into the Olympics, having, um, you know, the best experience I could have meant being honest in every interview, um, being candid, just having a normal conversation and not having like an interview that like, if somebody came up to me and they said, you know, how are you feeling? I wasn't going to be like, never better. I'm going to just like <laughs> rock it. Thanks. Uh, I was going to be like, I'm really nervous and I think I'm going to have diarrhea for a week. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> or like, I hope the stress helps me lose weight. Like nobody, you know, nobody says anything like that, but it was like, that's how I would talk normally. So I was like, that's the kind of experience I would have. And one of the interviews I gave right before the Olympics was, um, uh, with Christine Brennan with USA Today. Mm-hmm. And um, she asked me a question of what, what did I think of Mike Pence leading the U.S. Um, athletes delegation? And that meant I would have to answer that question honestly. I wasn't going to say, oh, you know, you said, what else? <laughs> I'm proud. Yeah. Not. Um, and I was, and I said, you know what? Um, I think it's a poor choice. I think it's a poor choice, like many poor choices that the Trump administration has put forward. Um, I don't think that he, he doesn't represent me. He doesn't represent um, uh, a lot of people in this country. Um, You know, he's supported conversion therapy in the past. And I think somebody who thinks that I'm sick isn't a good representation of, of representing me. And that's all, that's all I said. Um, The next day, um, I was practicing, and when my practice was over, I went to my phone, and I look, and I have a million missed calls. Um, I have some from the U.S. Olympic Committee, I have some from my agent at the time, and I have some from U.S. figure skating. And I'm like, (gasps) okay, Um, either someone's like mad at me about talking about diarrhea, (laughs) or I'm like, or I did something bad and I'm in in trouble. And um, I listened to the voicemails, and I call everybody back, and um, what they told me was that the office of the vice president had reached out to the U.S. Olympic Committee. So this was the next day the article came out, and and that they wanted to set up a call with me to speak with the vice president. (laughs) Yeah, I know, my (laughs) reaction exactly. (laughs) But, you know, I think growing up, we're conditioned to be like, what an honor. Like, it's the vice president. And, um, and I'm thinking, maybe this is my time to, like, make a change. Maybe I can really make a difference. Um, maybe I, this is my chance to, like, for him to hear me out. And I think about it for a second, and I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> he didn't know who I was an hour before that article. He didn't know who I was until he read that article. And he's been, you know, really ruining people's lives for a really long time. And I doubt some loud, big-mouthed athlete who he's going to represent at the Olympics is the person that he's like, you know what? I'm going to level with you. Let's talk. No, he's not going to want to do that. He's just going to tell me, you know, he's just going to correct me. I don't need to be corrected. I know what I said. I know what his history is. And also that conversation isn't for me. It's for the people 
that he's really made life challenging for and hard for. Mm-hmm. And that's not my conversation. I live in California and he was never my, um, he never represented me. He never um, tried to um, pass legislation that would affect my life. And I'm very lucky for that. Um, you know, that conversation is for like the black trans woman who doesn't feel comfortable to walk outside and Mike Pence won't do anything to help um, protections for her mm. um, or for her not to be discriminated against. Um, that's who the conversation is for. It's for people like that, people who feel really, um, you know, not safe where they, where they live and it's from legislation that he's pushed. And I said, you know, I, I, don't, have, I don't think I have time for this. And so um, I spoke with um, the U.S. Figure Skating's um, media relations person. Her name is, is Barb, and she's a lesbian. Um, and I said, Barb, I've thought about what, I'm, what my decision is about, like, Mike Pence. And she goes, okay. And I was like, you can tell him to fuck himself. <laughs> And she was like, I don't know if we'll use that wording exactly. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I just, I don't have time for it. Like, I don't, I don't really need this. And um, that's all, that's all that it was. And it was not supposed to be anything bigger than that. You know, and then you go to the Olympics and then all of these stories like come forward. And then all of a sudden it got out that the president's office, the vice president's office reached out um, and that I declined a meeting and I declined a call. And, you know, they're asking me and I'm like, ask them, like, the, like, ask my, ask my team. They know the answer. And my team is like, yeah, that that's exactly what happened. Um, and I don't want to pull my teammates into this because um, they don't deserve that. That's like, that's not what we're here for. Um and so uh, I, you know, then it turns into this huge thing because then the vice president, first of all, I'm not saying anything. The vice president's office is, that comes out, they're like, it never happened. Then they're like, it did happen. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, you guys are lying? <laughs> <laughs> so weird. You guys don't usually do that. <laughs> um, you guys are really known for your honor and like truth. Um, and so I, I was like, whatever. And then all of a sudden, like, the vice president is tweeting at me that he stands with me and he stands with all the athletes. And it's just such an insincere statement that, like, you know, maybe you stand with me now because you have to. But when I go home, do you stand with me if I ever want to get married? Mm-hmm. Do you stand with me in, like, my community of people? Because, like, I come with all of these people, too. You can't just stand with me. You have to stand with, like, all my... LGBTQ plus family and you don't mm-hmm. so shut the fuck up <laughs> I need to kidnap you not really security whoever's here but like I could you know Adam could be my security in the world and be like make me confident um, so leading that I mean you came home from the Olympics. And did you ever hear back from the vice president for another meeting to really work this out? No. And I know that there's some people um, who think that, you know, maybe I should have met with him, but I, I don't. I don't think that's not my, it wasn't my conversation to have. Um, I can't share my personal experiences of how, like, I, I've been affected by his legislation, only from afar, of how it would make me feel. Um, 
but you know, I, I, I've never heard back. I never expected to. And, um, that's that. That we, we is don't want to hear. You know, hopefully yeah. after 2020, we won't have to hear from Mike Pence. Anyway, John. It's, it's well. It's possible Mike Pence wouldn't trust himself in a room with you without his wife there. <laughs> oh, now that that you was the mother? question. Mother. Oh, yeah. yes. we wanted to ask. I was a question if if you get any Gator vibes about Mike Pence at all, or what 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 his deal is. I don't know, what I, is who his cares? Deal? Yeah, we don't true. want him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's that's really true. Um, you know, going back to the uh, the Olympics, and you've shared with us, you know, just the the personal journey, the challenges, and all, every single time falling down, getting up, telling yourself you're going to do better, you're going to do great, putting the work in. You get to the Olympics, you do your thing, and you win a bronze medal. Congratulations! Thank and, you. Yeah. How did you feel after that performance? I mean, was it everything that you had drummed up in your head and that and going back to that conversation with your mom, like get your shit together? Did you finally feel like it was um, everything? It was more than I thought and less than I thought all at the same time. You know, going to the Olympics is an amazing experience, but it's so funny that you go there and you're like, this isn't for you to compete. Well, this is like a show for the world. Um when we go um, to a competition, a normal, like a world championships or something, our event is like at, you know, 9 p.m., something you have a practice in the morning, you have, you know, five hours, and then you have the event at night. It's like a, it's like a, a show at night. It's a, and, you've, and you do that your whole life. You go to the Olympics, and they're like, your practice is at 4 a.m., and you're going to be competing at, you know, 10 a.m., not really. I think when was our practice? It was like six. It was set. That's one of my coaches. And um, hi, coach. <laughs> and um, so we had to practice at six and competed at at like nine. And um, you're like, what? <laughs> but it's so that you can, so that we can um, be on primetime live television in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So you're like, this isn't for the athletes to compete well. Like, you know, nobody's going to be like at their best at 6 a.m. And if you are, you're insane. <laughs> um, and, and so it was, you know, knowing that and then hearing from the other athletes of like, especially the, this, the uh, snow athletes who ski and everything, they say they, they never do all of those events all at once because it, it doesn't make for good conditions in the snow. And usually they need to be there for a while because there's so many days where it's like, you know, you can't compete, like the winds are too harsh or the snow isn't good enough. But at the Olympics, they're like, just go because everything has to be done in a certain amount of time and they don't have a choice. So you're like, this really is just like this insane, crazy event that's just a, you know, it's like, you know, let's be gladiators to the death. And like... And I, and I think the people who do really well, I think that's why there's so many surprises at the Olympics. I feel like the people who do really well are the people who aren't expected to do well, who have no expectations, or who are just so much better than everyone else that they're in this like euphoric state of like, I can't be beaten, it doesn't matter. And um, I think that's why people who like, there are expectations for them to do well, sometimes they falter because the s- scenario that you're in is so crazy and un- it's not like something that you can really wrap your head around. Um, but, you know, it, it's sort of one of those things you've done a million times. The arena is the same. Um, half of it is completely empty because it's just filled with desks of media. Um, half of it is full. 
So it's like feels even less. It feels quieter. Um, but it's the first time where it's like, you know, what you do in that building just doesn't stay there or go to a few thousand fans. Um, it goes to the world. And, you know, when I stepped onto the ice, I knew that I was, I knew the like world was watching at this point because of all of the media that was around me. And I knew that it was like, this moment is so much bigger than I am. Like I have to do well or no one's going to take me seriously my entire life. Um, because I've been having such a big freaking mouth the whole time. <laughs> and, um, I, I'm like, this is really who, like what I show, like w- when I can show my true colors and I, and I, and I'm focused and I'm ready and I've never been more prepared and I can do this. And also if I don't do well, like Leslie Jones is definitely going to like post a video of me falling and her screaming. <laughs> um, and you know, there's this sense of calm knowing that you're the most prepared and then there's also this sense of fear of you're like I know Reese Witherspoon and Britney Spears are watching so like (laughs) (laughs) and I also knew that a lot of the attention that I was getting was like people who just wanted to see me do badly Um, and I knew it was people who had who just wanted me to do well just because they you know hate Mike Pence and so I, I knew that that was also there with me And, um, but you know, all of the things that I had been through had led me to like that moment for the level of preparedness I had felt because I was ready for anything. I was ready for anything to happen and I was still going to do well. I thought it was flawless by the way. And the outfit, the sparkles, cold play, it was so (laughs) serene. It was beautiful. Um, so thank you for that. And we it's right around the time by the way you had cards on your seat so if you have a question for adam go ahead and fill them out we have uh barbara who is walking around and collecting them and we'll ask adam and so one question before we get to the questions you announced in late uh 20 or recent well yes you you announced it that you were retiring which Mm -hmm. is kind of crazy as you don't look like you're going to retire from anything. <laughs> but you it's retire. just good moisturizer. <laughs> I, I really am truly going to ask uh, about your skincare regimen later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you announced your retirement from figure skating, and I know you're working on a couple of things, mm-hmm. um, such as a book that, or memoir, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you've covered a little bit of what's inside of the memoir here today with us, which we're so lucky, and also some new projects in the media. I mean, you 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 took the media by storm. I mean, you killed it, and now we just can't get enough of Adam Ripon. We want to see you. What's going on? What do you have coming up? Well, you know, I think the Olympics is that moment and event that so many people are like, this is what I've waited my whole life for. And I remember, um, you know, also to go back, my, my, my Olympic medal, I couldn't have done without my teammates and because they also stepped up to the plate when, when I needed them and I tried to be there for them. So to have that moment with them is just so incredible. Um, what was I talking about? We're we're now talking about your retirement. Oh right, right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to sell a book later. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, I to go to the to, I, at twenty eight. I was the f- oldest first time Olympian in figure skating since the nineteen twenties. Wow. And my uh, teammates in the men's event were seventeen and eighteen. Um. 
I sort of know that like I was in the best shape of my life at the right time at 28 and that um it just felt like it was time to move on. It was time to be a cheerleader for them. I could be their teammate, but it was time to be like their cheerleader. Um I still love to skate so much. Um and I feel like very lucky cuz there's a lot of athletes that don't have the clarity that I really felt. Um, I skated three events at the Olympics and in the last event, um, my last jumping pass, I had done three clean programs and this last jumping pass would mean it would be like my third clean, perfect program. And I remember I landed the last jump and I was like, this is it. This is the last time, like, enjoy this moment. This is the last time you're ever going to be like an amateur in competition and, you know, I'm still, like, skating my, like, program. But I'm like, this is this is it. And I had two spins left. And I was like, I just, you know, better spin the shit out of these. Because <laughs> I'll watch this. I'll be like, this was it. And if I, like, did some lazy spins, I'll be like, oh, shoot. Um, and uh, I just, I knew. I, I just, I, I knew in my heart that it was like, this is how I want to leave it. I'm still going to skate. Um because I don't want to get fat. <laughs> <laughs> so you still skate and and you're writing and you're yeah. You've oh got, yeah, yeah 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 wait so like yeah. people have to, that moment that moment I know what I was saying. <laughs> I um, so when people have that moment of being on the podium and they're like, "This is the moment I've waited for my whole life." When I was off the podium. And doing all of this media and speaking to everybody and getting to make people laugh, I was like, oh, shoot, this is the moment I've been waiting for my whole life. I've always, 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 you know, sometimes I've not always been the, the best skater, but I was always the one who, like, could rally everyone together and basically sit in front of them and tell them any story and, like, make them laugh. And I was like, this is, you know, that's what I love to do. And then all of a sudden at the Olympics, I was able to do it in front of everybody. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is it. This is like what I love doing this. And, and for so long, like skating was my outlet to be that performer. And, um, when all of a sudden I was given the opportunity to like make people laugh and entertain them without my skates on, I was like, oh my God, this is more comfortable. And I like this. (laughs) Um, and that's what I wanted to say. So yeah. that's it. <laughs> so you just launched a YouTube channel. I did. Um, oh, and um, what I'm really excited about is that we filmed um, this uh, YouTube series called Break the Ice. And it's um, premiering this Wednesday. And it's basically a talk show on the ice. So I bring a guest on and we do an interview. But I'll stop the interview a few times to teach them a few skating elements. Um, and then at the end, I make them like do a performance for me, which is pretty amazing. Oh, my God. And we had so much fun. So I, yeah, you should definitely watch it. It's good. <laughs> and the memoir comes out in October the fall. 15th. October yeah. 15th. And it is beautiful on the outside. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to questions from the audience. Sure. Someone asks, uh, do you think U.S. skating would support more skaters coming out, or is one of you en- enough as far as it's concerned? 
I think one of me is enough. Um, but I think, you know, what, I, what I've seen is I think I've seen a lot of like younger skaters be out. I don't, I think it's less of something that's taboo. Um, there was never any pressure to stay in the closet. Um, it's just, you know, you go out there and you're performing for like a million different people, but re- who you're really performing for is like seven people right in the front. And you're like, what are they going to think of me? It's not U.S. figure skating as a whole. They want you to do well. Do whatever it takes to do well. Um, and, and if you're a good role model, if you're a good athlete, if you work hard, we're going to support you. But at the end of the day, you know, what is the like 80-year-old woman on the judging panel from the, you know, old Soviet bloc going to think of me skating to like gay club music? <laughs> But what you don't give her credit for is that if the whole audience loves it, she's obligated to love it too. Mm. And you have to give those people credit, but we're so afraid of like what they might think, or they might think that they might not like it. If they don't like it, they can just, you know, say, you know, I don't, I don't like this. I'm not going to give it a good score. And I think that's sort of the hesitation a lot of athletes feel is that they'll be judged for who they are rather than what they do. And if it's not somebody's cup of tea, then, you know, they won't drink it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think people are starting to see more and more that, like, if you can represent yourself to your be- the best of your ability and you're able to just enjoy what you're doing, that, like, we as humans love to watch that. Um, even if we don't necessarily, it's not something that we would normally watch or something that we love, but we love to watch people, like, living their truth. It's just that innate connection that we have between all of us. And um, I think that that's like the most liberating, that, that creates the most powerful athletes. So I hope more athletes are able to just, you know, experience that, like the, the whole point of what, you know, sport is all about. This almost takes off on that. It's, you are an inspiration to young people for so many reasons. What advice do you have for children who are still developing their authentic voices? Um, my advice is, um, as much as you think people are judging you, they think the same thing about everybody else. Um, we all think like, oh my God, what are people going to think of us? What are people going to think of me? Um, and that's a fear that everybody has when in reality, sometimes people are so consumed of what they think people are going to think of them that they're not even judging you. They haven't even gotten there. Um, and the one thing that I've learned is that we always have nothing to lose. When we feel like we have something to lose, that's when we hold back. That's when we don't um, give it our all because we feel like, oh, we might, we might lose something. But when you have this, I, I've got nothing. I've only, the only way is up. That's when you, you give it everything. And we, and we should always live in that. Those are the most powerful moments in my life. And everything I get to do now, I go in with this, like, I have nothing to lose. The only way is up mentality. Um, because in that way, you never hold anything back. And you should never hold anything back. So do that. <laughs> <laughs> what types, if any, of dance training have you had to prepare for competitions? Um, so when I was competing, um, when I was young, I took one ballet class um, a week. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, st- I hadn't taken a dance class. Um, like a ba- I-, I stopped t- taking them when I was like 13. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so they were like on Saturday mornings and it was just this one um, ballet Russian woman named Olga. And I remember she would come in and she'd have the highest wedges I've ever seen. And she'd be in like some sort of like sundress wrap and she had huge tits. <laughs> And she'd be like, she'd be like, no, 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 no. And I'd be like, this is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, oh God, don't do that to me. And so then, I, then actually, when I got a little bit older, I would take a few dance classes. I lived like in in New Jersey, in the poor man's New York, and so then <laughs> I would go into the city and I would take a few dance classes, and and that was it. But I've always loved music, and I've always had a lot of friends in dance. Um, so it wasn't a lot of dance training. It was I just have the rhythm myself. <laughs> have you ever seen Yuri on Ice? Yes, I have. I love Yuri on Ice. Those of you who don't know, it's a, a Japanese anime that. Features actually a 28 year old mm-hmm. uh, figure skater and his. There's a rumor that um, so you, if you like are a skating fan and a Yuri on Ice fan, there's like you can see similarities between a lot of current skaters and the characters. Um, and somebody said that they think that Christopher was based on me, which. There are crazy similarities, and I don't want to say that it's true, but it is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, your bio that was sent to us, as well as what we named this program, uh, Adam Rapon, art athlete, artist, activist. Um, which of those are you most? Which are you, At this time where you're, you've left behind Olympic skating, do you see yourself becoming more of one of those than the others? Um, you know, I I do a lot of activism, and I think I fall into the activist category almost by accident. Um, I speak out on a lot of things that are important to me, and I think that I have a really unique opportunity and a unique platform where um, I can use my voice for a lot of people who feel like they aren't being heard. I'm the oldest of six kids in my family, so I've always sort of felt like a leader and a big brother. And I felt like a leader in my training group when I was training for the Olympics. And um, I like that role and I like that responsibility. So I don't really consider. I I do a lot of activism, and I think that it just I just do things that it feels it feels right to me, and that I feel like I have to do. And and I enjoy doing that. I enjoy helping other people. It's nice. (laughs) Try it. Right. I've spoken here with a number of actually conservatives who have been very anti-Trump and the attacks that they get and their families get and the threats and the people coming up to them in grocery stores with guns and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And these are people who are pretty well known. It's like they're picking on people who are very prominent. Have you had, you must have, I mean, what, what's happened and, and how do you deal with that? Um, at at the Olympics, of course, it was just like a multitude of, um, you know, if if you like if you can't blah blah blah, then get out. I'm like, I'm already. I'm in Korea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> sweetie, I can't let go any further. I'm like all the way on the other side. I never concerned you. You're you. Please. Uh, 
<laughs> but you know, and, and um, I get some sort of like, well, if you didn't, if you that's what you think, then blah blah. I'm like, enough with you. Um, and most of it's been online. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never really had anybody, I've been lucky that I haven't had anybody really come up to my face. I think the scariest situation that like I was ever in was, um, one day I came home and, um, uh, my, uh, roommate's husband came up to me and he's like, I have to talk to you right now. I'm like, what the shit that I do? <laughs> And he's like, um, the the FBI was here earlier today. And I'm like, <laughs> again, what did I do? Um, and um, this was when the that crazy guy in Florida was sending bombs to people, mm-hmm. um, a dress from Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And um, they, you know, found him and they took his all of his information and he had a list of other people that he wanted to send things to and i was on the list um and so you know that's like a a scary thing i don't even know debbie wasserman schultz (laughs) (laughs) i don't need a bomb since (laughs) well we're winding down on time and we're super sad you've been like the light of my entire year so far. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> I want you to stay. I want you to be a part of my super big queer family and be an extended brother. <laughs> I, I have to interrupt because we actually have someone who wrote in here saying that they they want to be best friends with you <laughs> and guest kind of worthy. So <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> uh. I mean, the last question is is a little serious. I mean, I have so much appreciation for you, and I think that uh, reading a lot of the comments when, you know, Adam Rippon took on Mike Pence and then won the bronze medal, and you don't only speak for our future and our youths who now, you know, can be themselves and be their authentic selves and know that it's okay as boys, they can, like, sequins and do twirls and jumps and stuff in the air and that's okay. But also you speak for our community as a whole and being, you know, a representation for even um, the range of, of sexuality, if you will, in our community. Not all the time is it super glamorous, super amazing when an effeminate gay man, you know, is himself. Sometimes it gets pretty dangerous mm-hmm. so if you could leave us you know just the uh the last thoughts on being this bigger than yourself um activist figure skater uh writer etc cetera, etc cetera, this b- bigger image for all of us for the future and now and beyond i mean how does it all make you feel that's kind of big i know um i feel like one, I feel like a lot of the experiences that I've had, I'm incredibly lucky for the people who've come before me. Um, they walked so I could run. Um, you know, I, I think of people who I've spoken to, like Billie Jean King, who her experience of coming out is completely different of mine. It, it destroyed her career for a number of years. Um, and I, we've had the chance to talk and she's, she's told me that like seeing somebody like me makes it feel like what she went through is worth it, which is incredibly humbling. Um, 
I also think that when we grow up, we sort of feel like we're only allowed to be a certain thing. I think sometimes when you're like an effeminate gay man, you feel like I'm I'm allowed to be somebody's sidekick. I'm allowed to be somebody's gay best friend. And that's sort of it. Mm. I'm not allowed to like be the star. Um, and I never felt like that was right, you know? With a face like this. You're right. <laughs> what a waste, Michelle. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I... I uh, you know, I think also that, you know, there's so many, with being somebody like me, there's so many stero- stere- other stereotypes or things that we have in our head that, like, you you know, uh, you're the guy who you go into the men's locker room and they want to, you know, kick the shit out of you or they want to beat you up. And I was like, I don't, that doesn't feel like me. I feel like I have a power to walk into any room and... I can pick anybody out in the room and I can be like, I am going to be best friends with them by the time I leave. And I know that I can do that because I don't go in and I never go into a situation now. Um, I never go into a situation and, and try to explain who I am. I show you who I am and show you all the reasons why you should like me. And then if you don't, you have to be crazy. But I think sometimes we all get so caught up in trying to explain of why, why we're worthy instead of just being worthy and showing that. And we all have that power. And, and, I, and I, I hope that I was able to kind of show that. But I think that that was, the, that was the biggest thing for me, that every situation I went into, whether it was like, you know, I, I remember even being at the Olympics and there was this one one athlete who I don't even remember. Um, but somebody was like, uh, I would just kind of like avoid him. I think he might be like, he's like, you know, religious and maybe like a little homophobic. And I was like, fuck that. And I was like, went over to him and I was like, why do you have such a weird haircut? (laughs) (laughs) And you know, he looked at me and he was like, what? And I was like, you look busted and, and just kind of like walked away. But then we started talking and we hit it off and we were just having such a good time. And he, he like introduced me to his girlfriend who came over and I was like, this is like, if you just go in and you, and you don't expect them to like hate on you, they won't. Um, and sometimes like our worst fears come true because we make them happen. Um, but my biggest piece of advice is that we all have that superpower to just be liked by everyone. And I think people are afraid and, and sometimes prejudiced of, of what they don't know. And when you're able to like break down that wall and just show, here I am, and I'm, I'm, like, I'm worthy of so much, people will believe that. Um, it's, so, it's like that fake it till you make it. And I'm still faking it. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful on the outside comes out 
October 15th, so make sure you get your copy. I'm sure there's way more um, in the memoir. And also follow Adam's work. He's got his new YouTube channel, and I'm sure working on a ton of other things. I do want to make uh, one announcement, a great recognition. We have another Olympic medalist here with us today, and that's Brian Boitano. Brian, are you here? Brian here? Yay! And and I know that Adam also can Brian's hit. like a hero, yeah. like a hero of mine. So that's yeah. it. Like have Brian here is so nice. So Brian, thank right. you so much. Yeah, thanks for liking me. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, and and we know that Adam can hit the Tano Lutz, uh, right? That, 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 yeah, that's but now my shoulders are busted, so <laughs> they don't. I can't. Um, I want to thank you so much for being here with us this afternoon. The Commonwealth Club. It's the Michelle Miao Show, and thank you to our sponsors again: Alaska Airlines, Seth Banco, the Castro Car Guy from Ceremony Ford, and if, if <laughs> we have <laughs> we have more exciting talks coming up, if you head to CommonwealthClub.org/mms, there's more to come. Enjoy your Sunday afternoon, and thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all that you do and all that you are. The amazing oh, Adam Ripon. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you so much.